Did you ever wonder what it takes to bring innovation from Europe and China to the global life science industry? If your answer is yes, then this conversation number 67 with Kai Lamotke is right for you. What is our picture in the future about society? How should we set it up? That maybe something like happiness is a key asset about how we run our society. This episode was recorded in November 2021. And we were talking about how to bring science into business. Bicol's mission, finding the right business model for a company how to establish business between continents and how it is to operate systems in a pandemic world. Kyla Motke is the co-founder and CEO of Bicol Limited and Bicol Biotechnology in Shanghai, the first German-Chinese biotechnology company. His expertise and knowledge in life science and innovation sectors in China and Europe are requested by corporates, SMEs, and organizations like the European Commission. The excessive network of business, academic, and political contacts allowed him to achieve business governmental grants with a value of over 23 million euros up to now. I hope you enjoy the conversation the same way as I did. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of my podcast. And I'm very happy today to have a friend from Munich in the show, Kyla Motke from Germany. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Christian. And for sure, it's more than a pleasure to interact with you, try to create uh, an understanding about what we have done, uh, contribute for some insight. It's great to see you. I think it's been two years uh, since we met the last time. How is it going in Munich, in Germany? Yeah, so everybody is somehow suffering pandemic uh, impact and for sure uh, meeting people um, uh, in real life becomes a little bit problematic. But in virtual life, it's a little, little bit more easy. But uh, I think uh, or I believe also science is about communication. Science is about interaction. Science is about team playing. And you really have to meet people. Otherwise, um, progress is somehow so-so, I would describe it. That's absolutely true. I mean, there are two things that I like uh, with the pandemic, if I may say so. One thing is the digital push um, about meeting people. When I think back before 2020, There was mostly no acceptance of uh, digital means of communication. And when I interact with people today, I think uh, the the awareness that a lot of communication can be also done very quickly where the internet has grown in the last uh, 18 months. How do you see that? I, 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 meet, I meet also uh, spontaneously uh, people uh, with this virtual meeting. Uh, before it was telephone calls, but uh, mm. I don't know if people are still understand uh, how, to <laughs> how to call. So it's uh, interesting that I'm in uh, different kind of lunch meetings. So yesterday, a professor from Zurich called me for a lunch meeting and we were just chatting one hour. So um, uh, this is somehow has turned 
uh, to really virtual meetings, uh, not telephone calls any longer. And there is still a hesitation barrier to start virtual meeting with unknown people. So you really have to fix um, a date uh, before you start. And that uh, can be uh, a hurdle for uh, some people. So spontaneous virtual meetings are still very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, so when we established our company, Bicol, uh, we established it. Uh, a lot with this kind of digital tools we are now permanently relying on. So uh, our mantra was wherever you are in front of um, uh, a computer, you can do such kind of communication and you should do it. Yeah, so our, uh, from right from the establishment, uh, at, at that time, Skype was uh, a regular tool. We have done also this kind of regular meetings. Uh, still, it was necessary to be at the uh, side of Shanghai uh, every six to eight weeks because mm-hmm. of this kind of personal interaction. But like you describe it, it's now so common that uh, people are accepting it like a real meeting. <laughs> Actually, it's not a real meeting, but they accept it like a real meeting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I mean, um, I was mostly on conferences. This is where I met uh, you and uh, your company. Um, and uh, I think it was quite normal to have spontaneous meetings and follow up then digitally. So via phone calls or Zoom calls already. But for most people, I think they also preferred the, the regular common meetings, phone calls, or just, uh, sharing a cup of coffee somewhere in a, in a cafe and talking about business. Uh, the second thing that I observed in the last 18 months was that the common understanding of how drug development process in general work uh, has become a little bit better, especially with the tremendous successes of uh, Pfizer and Moderna, for example. I read uh, last week that Pfizer also now has a therapeutic that is coming to the market, developed in, in my opinion, less than 12 months um, from scratch to, to the market. But one thing, and this was the reason why I invited you to the show, one thing I think needs still a little bit more communication to create a better understanding for everybody on how that really works, that drugs are developed, especially in the early stages. And I'm very happy to have you here. And uh, maybe we start with uh, sharing a little bit of your background, where you got your expertise and what you are actually doing in the drug discovery stages. So from uh, education, I'm a chemist and uh, chemistry wise, for sure, I analyze the world and uh, that is also the setup like we ask questions and we become answers. Uh, if I say chemistry, uh, I'm related or rely on small molecules in this kind of uh, questions. Um, so from my education, I did some studies in US, in Berkeley, as well then in uh, Munich. And, uh, for sure, I have had, uh, early on, uh, um, uh, natural products were a favorable topic for me because for me, on one hand side, at that, at that time, they look complex, but still working. And, uh, uh, you have to ask yourself, okay, there are natural compounds. They might have a certain kind of complexity, 
uh, but they are working and especially working for uh, plants. Uh, plants, natural compounds are tremendously successful in a starting point for any drug discovery approach and also successful on the market. So half of the top 200 drugs are derived from natural products and they are the majority is from plants. So, and that was part of my education. And then uh, at that time, combinatorial chemistry was uh, in fashion and people were uh, dealing with numbers. So I uh, remember that I have a certain kind of st a strategic outlook from Bayer at that time. So that was 25 years ago, where they say, oh, we are pretty successful. Uh, if we do 20,000 compounds, we bring one compound to the market. So <laughs> the numbers is easy. Just make 40,000 compounds and you bring two compounds to the market. And then I said, hmm, at that time, was it really so easy? Was it just a number game? And uh, combinatorial chemistry was all about number games. And I couldn't believe it. And uh, then uh, I have had uh, a lot of discussions, for sure, with industrial uh, colleagues at that time, as well as colleagues there where I studied. And uh, we said that can be a very um, difficult and also dangerous path we are going there, that quality of the starting points was not an issue any longer. Mm. So quantity was an issue, and it might be also driven by uh, decision makers, maybe more with a ad uh, business administrative uh, background, so very strong uh, analytic uh, capabilities and understanding, okay, maybe it's a number game. Just try it. And at the end, we figured out um, it might be not a number game. It's a quality game. Okay. Uh, and this kind of quality game we need to address. So I, I remember also then some 15 years ago where I gave a talk on a, at a big pharmaceutical company and there, there was a discussion about if we should think about in medicinal chemistry, think about introduction of um, uh, non-flat compounds uh, with a stereo center, which is for sure a certain kind of degree of difficulty for any chemist to introduce one or two stereo uh, centers. But at the end, what you picture if you have a, an enzyme and you think you want to increase activity or decrease activity, mm -hmm. if you want to influence a human disease, at the end, this is a three-dimensional uh, body. And for sure, the likelihood that your small molecule where you want to influence it, it's, it's also a high chance that this one ha has some um, uh, three dimensions. And flat compounds have a certain kind of charm, but I would describe it reality is more on the side of uh, three-dimensional setup also at small molecules. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. 
Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, reality seems to be a little bit more complex than models. I completely can emphasize with the statistics games that usually business people like myself are doing to just look uh, from the outside into systems and figure out um, if I turn a little bit here, what happens in the end and make it a numbers game, which might not really always be the reality. What I find very interesting, especially when we talk about education and people's decision, um, I mean, when I when I studied in the 90s in, in Graz and did some economic uh, economical studies, the usual pathway was get a master's degree, either you stay on universities and do some research and uh, go down the academic route, or you leave the university and find a secure job in a big corporation and work up the ladder until you retire somewhere in the 60s. And some people did different things. And as far as I understand from, from your CV, uh, you decided to found a company. And what I find particularly interesting is this decision point. What, what, what made you going? What made you decide? What, what uh, was the drive? What the, the initially went where you said, okay, no, I make my own company. Uh, uh, okay, so let's make, <laughs> let's make first a decision why I'm not, I'm not why I didn't went to academia. And uh, maybe there's also a funny story uh, because uh, I was studying in Berkeley uh, and uh, there uh, I lived together with a colleague. He was doing his postdoc there. And we were thinking about is academia uh, uh, something like we should... Uh, uh, aim for. And uh, then I reflect my own understanding about uh, the setup of a professor. And I said, hmm, I, I think I'm not clever enough for, uh, for becoming a professor. And then he said to me, hmm, uh, I have learned if you ask you this kind of question already, you are not uh, uh, meant to be become a professor because <laughs> you should be <laughs> really self-confident that you can make it. But th that was a joke for sure. Uh, um, and if you ask uh, why becoming an entrepreneur, uh, I think um, I found it fascinating uh, to develop something. I found it fascinating to be fully responsible for something. I found it interesting also to develop people, to form a team, uh, to have this kind of certain feedback also from team members. And I also found it fascinating that uh, you have the potential to scale up a business dramatically if you identify certain kind of solutions, which I would describe the market needs and want to have it. And under this kind of setup and the permanent pressure on uh, efficiency topics, the permanent uh, uh, pressure on uh, limited resources, you try to build up something which is inherent, sustainable, and functional. And so reality, like you, you, you said, sometimes it's hard to negotiate with reality. 
<laughs> which we always say see now also for people in the in opposed uh, to public decision processes currently sometimes reality is hard to negotiate uh, but you can adapt to reality and then you can ask yourself okay what is reality telling you for your own setup and so that, that that might be some inherent driving motivations for going to uh, to to found a company and uh, why it's also appealing because i would describe it as a different life form um you can go for that or you can't go for that um but i somehow decided it's pretty interesting and uh, especially uh, the step into china in 2000 uh, was challenging by itself i can completely agree to what you say i think these for me it's always so i divide it in three mindsets and uh, three different personalities one is the the creative academic side which comes up with a, with a lot of great ideas then we have the huge corporate side of life, which is very structured and process-driven and organized. And in between, um, as you describe, I think it's particularly uh, interesting for certain personalities to take ideas, to figure out how to turn ideas into products, then figuring out the next step, where do you find the right people <laughs> to make the idea bigger? Because usually... One person can do a lot, but not everything alone. And putting together then right people, form the first team, scale it up, hand it over to big corporations like in the pharma industry is an exciting process to me. And of course, there are mixtures of these personalities. But uh, if you and I consider you are uh, also one of those entrepreneurs who find pleasure in turning ideas into products, uh, form their own company. Uh, what is Bicol doing, actually? What is your company's purpose? So our company's purpose is to create small molecules to create a, a benefit for human application in the sense of uh, either identifying uh, novel uh, treatment options or to create novel treatment options for disease. Uh, we are also in the area of... Um, uh, in, in the food area, we are also in the agro uh, business area. Uh, and there we, with our competence of uh, small molecule uh, creation in the sense of starting from natural products, as well as manipulation in the sense of making uh, patentable compounds uh, available, we have found our company Bicom. And uh, this is also our core competence in analytical chemistry, as well as natural product chemistry, as well as medicinal uh, chemistry. Mm -hmm. And with this kind of core competence, we are looking for partners who have a cutting edge understanding about mode of actions, novel models, how to... Uh, achieve new therapeutics, having a screening system, test systems available, uh, who can uh, deliver with our competence then the next generation of a product. Mm -hmm. 
That's that's very exciting to hear. Um, there is one point as a, as a business-minded person that I find interesting additionally. Um, putting together a team and structuring what you're doing is the first step. And the second step then is finding the right business model. And uh, I experienced a few different kinds of business models. And what I find very interesting is the process of how people come to the actual model they operate in. And if I may, I would like to ask the question, how did you find your business model? Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a process because you drive, uh, you, you describe a little bit how uh, organizations are set up. And uh, if you start from scratch, you have the freedom also, or the choice or the must also to structure a company. And in the structuring process, there is also the idea of business model uh, inherent lying there, which you need to identify. And the interesting thing is also to see the development over the last 20 years of our uh, company, Bicol, was that uh, the business model has changed. And uh, in the beginning, we uh, were set up with a, a grant from a governmental organizations. So uh, the, uh, we were looking for resources, in this case, money, to uh, create this kind of company where the um, uh, headquarter is located here in Germany and the 100% daughter company in China. And we found that... Uh, um, Uh, with a uh, with a grant called public private partnership and uh, you, your question was going into the business model and we were perfectly uh, serving uh, this kind of uh, grant need at that time but then we need to switch uh, to business and also this switching to business and uh, producing a, a product, Uh, which the where there is market need uh, creates certain kind of mindset change also for our um, uh, colleagues, and I would describe this mindset uh, mindset change takes a while, mm -hmm. and then also to identify okay how you really can serve the market, what kind of contribution can you give into the development process, what the market is somehow honoring uh, with your achievement. So drug discovery for sure is highly complex and it's highly interesting. And there are a lot of ideas we can follow. Unfortunately, not all the kind of ideas you can put into a business model. And sometimes we are sitting together and say, oh, that would be interesting to do. And that would be interesting to do. And I, we think, okay, this and that uh, needs also a solution, but you cannot create a business model for it. And a business model is mostly about also repetition because you do not have clients who are coming enthusiastically to you and say, you are a great team. Uh, we give you an unlimited amount of money, uh, just create a solution. It's mostly that the investment has to be already be done And uh, the contribution is then related to the investment you have done and package it in a form that your partner can further progress with this kind of uh, contribution. 
and then for sure also create additional added value. So I think theoretically, this is a process. And for sure, uh, if I would look uh, onto uh, uh, in, in this kind of development process, as an interesting person, I would say, oh, there are a lot of other ideas we could follow. But as I said, a business to create a business model, this is a challenge by itself. That's absolutely true. And I think you gave a wonderful explanation of the beautiful world of entrepreneurship um, to take an idea and give it a direction and especially figuring out what is the actual market need and can your product serve the market need? And then on top of that, uh, is there also a willingness to pay? But you pointed out the customers are not coming happily, willingly and throw money at you. So you need also to work on connecting their problem to your solution and explaining it in a way that they very easily understand if they purchase your product, that their solution is there, that they need to solve their problem, uh, which is, in my opinion, not very easy. And I also like the point where you pointed out that um, it's sort of also mindset shift from thinking transactional so that you get paid for every hour towards, uh, as an entrepreneur, I invest in building a solution where it's rewarded later on. Did I, did I understand your explanation in the right way or uh, would you like to correct a little bit my perception? I, I wouldn't correct it, but I would uh, go more in detail. Uh, and I just can give you again this kind of long development cycles, which you have in a drug discovery, drug development. You have shorter uh, development cycles in agribusiness, and you might have even more shorter development cycles in uh, the food industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, and why I pointed out the development cycle is, and that, that uh, took me a little bit of thinking how to answer uh, your direction uh, best, is that uh, the, the question is what you bring on the table for your partner. Where does it count to be an added value for your partner? Mm. And because I, I, I told you about this kind of development cycles, so development cycle in food industry as well as in uh, agriculture uh, industry are faster. And that means also you see your success faster or you see also the value of your product faster. And uh, in the drug discovery uh, field, um, sometimes it's very invisible what kind of contribution really brings the final added value on the table, really delivers the compound which is successful because it goes through so many hands that also it is not pretty clear for decision makers in big companies where are the success factors because the feedback loop are just uh, so long. They are sometimes 12 years and then think about who is in the same position after 12 years. Because the success today might have been done by the fourth, fifth generation beforehand, and you are then in the uh, in the uh, sitting in the seat in the driver's seat, and now you are harvesting the wise decision uh, of your forerunners. And so, therefore, it's if 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 I really state, okay, 
we bring for sure also obvious portions of added value to our partner. We see it. We see it again, that reality in the process becomes very visible and very clear uh, and very transparent that can be really shocking news sometimes. So um, where we so we are working also in deorphanizing drug targets. And then uh, people are coming to us and they say, oh, we did certain kind of years in doing medicinal chemistry, but we, we, we do not have any compound to prove that we are right. And then we delivering them a handful, handful of compounds and then they can do for the first time animal tests. And then they see, oh, wow, all of our hypothesis, is it now true? Uh, is it really having the effect in animals like we assume it should have? Can we do this kind of transfer to treatment to humans, uh, uh, human disease, yes or no? And this will be then an added value uh, for our partners if they are looking for it. Yeah. So that's that is a little bit then the answer uh, to 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 your indicated question. I think drug development in the early stages is um, <clears throat> how should I say that? In my opinion, mostly understanding to manage the process in a way that you come quickly to a decision making point. <laughs> Um, I have no not found a better explanation yet. It's it's not so much delivering the final product; it's much more playing the process in a, in my opinion, in a very quick and efficient way to give the potential customer, client, or investor the possibility to either say to give a go decision to continue with development or a no go decision. How is your perception of a description of um, the magic of drug discovery in business terms? Yeah, the, the, the speed is important. That's for sure. The decision points are also important. So if you make a speed on the wrong decision criteria, you will end up in a very fast process with no results. And uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that was my indication about the quality of starting point, the quality of checkpoints, the quality of reality. Um, because you can be very fast in early drug discovery, but then you have to oppose your compound to, uh, uh, to, to clinical trials. And then maybe some decision points you could clarify much earlier on that this kind of compound might be not a good one to survive the kind of clinical trials, but you did not include it into your decision process. So your decision process was fast, but not covering all the kind of aspects of what is really a good drug and has it a chance to survive. And that was my indication about why are natural products so tremendously successful also on the top sold drugs on the market, because there is this kind of evolutional process who has uh, formed and developed already ready available uh, features to survive in uh, other organism than in a plant or another organism like in a bacteria. And this kind of inherent decision point uh, we use then intentionally or non-intentionally and try to modify it further. 
in, uh, so in the description, we is our society, and we are pretty good in engineering processes. So uh, means if we have a starting point, we are pretty good in changing in it, uh, modifying it, trying to adapt it. But humans are not very good in creating from scratch. But humans want to be very good in creating in scratch. And there is a discrepancy also in this kind of process about our own perspective of ourselves. And that is, I, I just can turn it back to this kind of success case of natural products from plants in this kind of top 200 drugs. That is the reason why they are so successful because they, they oppose to our, our capability to engineer problems. And if you have a good starting point, we are very good in engineering. But uh, as you, as you, and also adaption, using knowledge, putting it again together, modify it further, add there something, uh, seldomly remove something. So we are always very good in adding, but very bad in removing, <laughs> even if it would be more successful. Um, and that is also where the, the kind of small molecules from, from plants are a good starting point. And as I said, from scratch, there are a few people who really can do it. They are our hero, heroes and genius. But we might need more from them. <laughs> I, I love, I love, like would not be good enough. I love what you say. I thought it through a couple of days ago that um, one thing I observed in my life is that um, I love investing. So when I see, for example, investors like Warren Buffett, it's very easy to imagine to have the end result, as you say. So you to say, okay, this is the result that they want to have. And also to imagine how great it would be to be on the Forbes uh, top 10 list and not realizing that in between there is a long learning process and everybody initially must start at scratch. So I think it also resembles what you are saying about the, the drug development process that starting from scratch where nothing is, um, not even a description of the end result initially. Um, first, it needs to uh, find the, how, the definition of how the end result should look like. And once people have that, then the amazing thing is to get started because initially everything is a failure. So when I stay in the investment picture, uh, putting money to work on the stock market looks uh, quite simple when I uh, observe what, Warren Buffett did, but everybody who starts investing the first time makes probably every time the same mistake like other people did and nothing works. And this picture, I think, resembles, in my opinion, also what you say about drug discovery. Initially, when you start with science and turning it into products, probably you have a high failure rate and it needs a certain type of personality who doesn't value this kind of failure in a negative way and give it a negative drive, but just say, okay, it's, it's part of the learning process and we learn something, let's go to the next step. How do you see that description? Um, okay, it's a little bit to an earlier question you raised about, about entrepreneurship and uh, how we are prepared to, to face such kind of critical factors 
in the decision process because if you start to be an entrepreneur, there might be no not really buffer. So you can rely on friends, a supporting network. But at the end, it's also learning by yourself and also learning the hard way. Yeah. Because what you see then often if uh, you hand over a company from generation to generation, uh, it does not mean that the next generation is better or not so good like you. Uh, it's maybe more if you if if they have experience, success as well as failure. Like you describe it uh, also with uh, investment on the stock market. Uh, for sure, it's easier to do investment on a stock market if the market is going up. Yeah, if the central banks are flooding the uh, uh, market with money, and then the money needs to find some way. And then, first of all, it finds a way on the stock market. And luckily, all this kind of people who are on the stock market don't want to invest in real goods because then we would have a high inflation rate uh, and luckily maybe they decide okay now i have had made some money in the virtual world i would describe it then in the stock market and then i go and uh, choose some uh, real investment and maybe the real investment is popping up then in the pharmaceutical industry and this kind of then uh, real investment tries to create with uh, uh, available money than a product. So uh, again, starting from scratch, uh, you need some training. I have the feeling that our society and as well as our environment provide too less of this kind of training. It uh, does not provide enough fields of experience uh, uh, for people because we are buffering everything away. So at the end, somebody else is responsible for everything. And what I found uh, very interesting, uh, a, a, a visit of a middle-class uh, household in America where uh, one of the members was an engineer on the toilet. He has a thick book about uh, standing up again after a failure. So it was, I don't know, 400 pages of examples where people failed and learned from their failure and starts again. And as I describe it, this kind of acceptance in our society that you want to try different and that you try to different with the risk of a failure. And this risk of a failure brings you forward and should not discourage you to go on. I think this kind of attitude we need to develop because uh, as your intro was today about vaccination and how fast we are able to develop something at least which, which is able to help us. Yeah, it's not a perfect solution. And for sure, I'm not sure how perfect it can be in two years of a development cycle and 20 years of a development cycle before such kind of product came to the market. Because don't forget that uh, for sure BioNTech uh, uh, relies on a strong team with a lot of 
people who have suffered during their academic career about rejection, about this kind of approach they were proposing some 20 years ago. And uh, through this kind of very critical time, luckily, uh, a person survived there. And this was a starting point for the uh, um, invention of Moderna as well as BioNTech. And Pfizer then who picked it up because also there Pfizer somehow decided, well, it sounds uh, interesting. Uh, let's help this kind of persons because uh, they helped us to identify a product, but we will push the clinical trials. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health and beyond. Together they unpack the secrets to not just surviving but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. I agree to what you say about uh, failure, failure culture. And I mean, this is my explanation personally why scientists make great entrepreneurs because I think uh, the science training by itself is learning to deal with uh, failures. You have a, have a hypothesis, hypothesis, you make an experiment, try it out, it doesn't work. Uh, what do you need to change? So should you stop and change direction and run away? Or should you make the next hypothesis and do the next experiment and just uh, try and try again until it works? And this is also necessary in the startup world in, uh, for entrepreneurs. It's pretty much the same process, in my opinion. Uh, what I got from you is that you had a, prof a proficient in science. You got a great training at Berkeley and in Munich and uh, decided to found a company which uh, by itself is a very tough process that you went through. And then you did the third amazing thing. You not only studied it in uh, in Germany, you decided uh, to head over to China. And if I remember it right, um, your history with China dates back until the 90s. Can you tell me a little bit more why and how you um, made this decision to pick up the China opportunity? Yeah, so uh, maybe I put it then on the chapter of diversity. So uh, very interesting for me when I did my um, school in Germany, there was exactly one, call him foreigner. He was an Italian person. <laughs> He came to our school for nine months and that was the only foreigner. And uh, so we, we went already just previously to... Uh, setup of a society if you have very limited diversity also for problem solution i think that's that that's the inherent uh, uh, key question about why is diversity anything we should appreciate it's about problem solution and uh, diversity can be created about background can be created about uh, belonging to certain kind of 
classes or whatever. So you can create a diversity in a lot of sense, experience, and so on. Um, and uh, uh, as I describe it, I, 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 I have uh, chosen to go to America uh, during my uh, studies for uh, diploma thesis at that time. So I was studying in Münster, or the north of Germany. And uh, I decided to go there. And I found it also interesting that uh, there in Berkeley, you have had a lot of students from different kinds of backgrounds. And a very talented person there was uh, Chinese from Taiwan. And I just asked him because he was so diligent in, in, in how he's handling small scale reactions that it was just an art. Yeah? And I asked him, uh, can I just stand there and watch you? <laughs> because you do it so nicely yeah, in this kind of answer. So this was great. And it opens also my, my mind towards um, uh, different kind of backgrounds coming together on working on a similar language, which I call science, yeah, like you described. Yeah, what is science and what is chemistry uh, making certain kind of or asking certain kind of questions with a, uh, with a, a setup and then get some results. And having such kind of things in mind, I came back and did then my PhD in the south of Germany. And uh, I was also opposed there to uh, another Chinese person from uh, uh, Shanghai at that time. And uh, again, we, we, we tried to do the same thing like you described with an experiment. We, we thought, okay, what is now the direction of the pharmaceutical industry? Is it going in the right direction or might be a little bit dangerous? So I describe it with this combinatorical chemistry fashion at that time. And so this kind of interaction gave us also some understanding about mindset of people, because at the end, diversity is good. Um, but you have to have an understanding about uh, your counterpart. Has he the same mindset? Yeah, Is there something which you can follow? Uh, in case you cannot follow, can he or she explain you why he... He is motivated to act like that, that you create an understanding. And then um, you, you're coming again to language. So that was also something like where we, where we started today is do you have a common language that uh, you can create something like I would describe it like a, a, a team result. So is your perspective contributing something? Is the other perspective contributing something? And with this kind of contribution, you feel, wow, that's uh, some added value. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, it needs to be just 1% faster in Olympics to get a gold medal. The question is, where do you get this 1% from? And if it's just... <laughs> Uh, a half of a sentence of a new idea from a person you somehow uh, uh, can understand, then this might be the part of the success. And uh, serendipity or luck or getting the chance, I think it's uh, for sure also an underestimated uh, success factor of entrepreneurs. And so... Uh, we came at the start of bike where we came together with four people and then tried to decide, so what is possible for us to achieve? 
And for sure, um, thinking that we were pretty young at heart at that time and saying, hey, uh, we want to create the first uh, German-Chinese company uh, uh, in biotech, uh, which actually is would be the first European-Chinese uh, uh, biotech company, is for sure a little bit bold. And <laughs> uh, everybody who where we were telling that that we want to do such kind of bold step was... Uh, or they have been at least uh, nice and polite to us. But that was a little bit over uh, the estimation that this can be really reality. I think what, what you say, these bold goals, is one of the best signs that uh, I'm talking to a real entrepreneur. Um, Elon Musk, for example, he wants to go to Mars. I mean, it's a, it's a very bold goal for private companies. And um, decades ago, it was uh, mostly governments who followed such goals. And it was Bruce Lee, I think, who said that um, goals are not always meant to be reached. Uh, it's sometimes just something to aim at. And I believe the bigger the goal, um, the higher you fly in the end of the day. So, I mean... Um, Making bold moves is the best sign that uh, entrepreneurs become successful. And you did one of those. And already, I think if I remember it right, 20 years ago, you started your China journey. How was the world back then? So you you, you see already that uh, there is a chance that uh, the, the plane of China will get into the air. Um Uh, so we were starting in Shanghai, and I think there was a huge uh, understanding of the background of each other and in which kind of direction Chinese, Shanghainese people want to uh, shape their future. Um, and for sure, it was a big uh new field there so shanghai at that point was it's it's now the center of the city and at that point maybe there have been 15 million now in the area of shanghai you found around uh 35 million people and for sure they uh, a, a lot of them have reached middle class especially in shanghai Uh, in the beginning, there were a few people, foreign people there, a few people also coming from foreign countries back in 2000 in Shanghai. Uh, you have had the feeling that you are wanted because it's, I think that's also important. Otherwise, the, the, the hurdles to progress are just too big if you feel not wanted. Um, And then uh, also they are typical for entrepreneurs that they, they, they want to realize something. So they don't ask uh, about certain kind of regulations, what to adapt and what not to adapt. And that was in the development phase also there. And you can act pretty quickly. So in case there are certain kind of chances, you, you just could go there. And uh, again, so I have had a very positive feedback loop with Shanghainese people. They just want to do business, which was uh, great. And they have a certain kind of sense 
also for people so that they, they, they are interested in, in you and yourself. Um, and food is great. Yeah. So they understand that besides uh, talking to people with a telephone or a computer, you can also eat together and you can eat good together. And uh, so that's also a, a, a nice surrounding then progressing with people, forming teams, contributing for development and um, yeah, create something. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. I think it was a bold move. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and um, the world back then was uh, divided. Uh, borders that were real borders, uh, no common currency and traveling was particularly difficult. Then in 89, a lot changed and also China started opening up and I think started a three decades long uh, bull run um, to lead the world's economy. What I find interesting back in the 90s was, I mean, the internet merely did not exist um, until 1994. And communication was, besides not speaking the same language, was uh, pretty challenging. And when I look back into my memories, I think uh, the means of communication really started taking off uh, from 2014-15 onwards uh, with the development of smartphones, tablet, Facebook, and also the uh, transmission technology, uh, 4G, was uh, established globally. How did you manage in your early days the communication between Germany and China um, 20 years ago? Uh, so I, I think I wrote my first email in 1994. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I came to Germany and I said, where's my email account? <laughs> email account. <laughs> okay. So uh, at least don't underestimate 1996 emails was something like at least common understood, common understanding. Uh, for sure, telephones, you can call people also in China at that time. So it, it was possible, maybe expensive, but possible. Um, and for sure, you have to be present there. So luckily, something like airplanes were flying and you could get access to the country and vice versa. So people from China could come also here to Germany. So that was at, at, at that time was more easier than today. Uh, <laughs> well, nobody expected the pandemic, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, no. no. <laughs> Yeah, I think in 2000, nobody expected that it becomes more difficult to meet each other than, than to exchange and communicate with each other. And then something like uh, uh, Skype was also introduced at that time, not a European company at that time, not bought by, I think, Microsoft in the meantime, something like from Lithuania or something, East European. 
uh, uh, communication tool, which we were starting using. And I think since 2005, if I remember right, this kind of daily communication, we have used such kind of tools. And uh, at the end, communication is about added values. You, you don't communicate with somebody or you can communicate uh, about if you have fun. So that's okay. Yeah. So fun communication always come, is uh, something like you should take into account. But uh, to communicate more often, there, there should be some added value. And uh, to, to organize, um, for sure, the, the company as well as uh, to, to bring it forward, such kind of communication tool in front of your laptop uh, was necessary. But at the end, the place where you were on your laptop was not really important. Hmm. And uh, so uh, I would describe all the tools were available for us since 2005. And there was no change for us, actually. Also, what we do now and what we did four years ago. So since 15 years, we are uh, trying to create a, a common sense at the place where uh, you located not necessarily has to do something with the input you are giving. For sure, you need a lab, and uh, also there, for sure, uh, you need to be uh, people where they are localized. Uh, but at least also for these people, 30% of the time they can spend wherever they want to spend their time. And uh, actually, we have never have had desktops in our company. So we <laughs> just run the company from notebooks from the beginning, just to say, also to have a mindset where you put, switch it on, it doesn't mean that you need this specific desk. Yeah, if you need to take it somewhere else, take it. Yeah, just do it. And so, uh, yeah, it's like you indicate. So if you if you start from scratch, you can for sure rethink about approaches again and try to organize and form a company together with your team members in the direction, what is really essential, what is efficient, what, how, how do you want to see and form also uh, your environment, yeah? It's a little bit walking down memory lane for me when you mentioned 1994, first email, and then also the time of 2005. I was uh, in merge acquisition in an Austrian company back then, uh, responsible for Eastern Europe. And I remember this uh, horrific roaming fees that we paid. So a phone call or several phone calls uh, for a few hours were in the thousands of euros um, in those days. Not in China, not from China, but from Hungary or Czech Republic or Slovakia, or Romania, just back to Austria or Germany. And when I look at communication today, um, It's mostly zero expenses. And even today with, with these eSIM cards, before I start uh, traveling somewhere, before the pandemic, I could easily um, get my access to the local network when I was in Austria. And on, upon leaving the plane, I could turn on the phone and uh, had perfect access, which uh, would say compared to thousands of euros uh, in 2005 is at zero expenses today. Also, you mentioned uh, notebooks and laptops. I mean, when I compare tablets, uh, which we have today with 
what we called notebook or laptop uh, back in 2004, five is, is um, a little bit different. It's uh, technology advanced tremendously and made communication very easy. But unfortunately, in 2020, things changed and um, the world shut down. How did you manage in your company, um, in your business, that uh, traveling uh, between Germany and China became a little bit, in my opinion, challenging? Yeah, luckily, we have established uh, infrastructure, a common understanding, a stable team at that time. So seventy-five uh, percent um, of our team members are now longer than ten years at Baikal. So that's something like an achievement, mm-hmm. also in China. And, and and so person understood each other pretty well. And uh, uh, in in China, the occurrence of the virus was uh, some months earlier uh, than in Germany. So there was for sure the same unsecureness about what we need to expect. Uh, also with my Chinese colleagues, <laughs> and uh, there was uh, th- so there was also a shutdown for sure in Shanghai at that time because nobody understood how fast uh, virus inf- infection are spreading and how easily you can get infected. Mm, and then um, there was for sure an analysis of the situation and interpretation, what we can do, and also in conclusion, what we should do. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, luckily we could communicate. So I, I could also um, get away some, call it panic uh, uh, feelings, which everybody had at that time. So what, what really will happen, uh, what can happen. And uh, it took us, I think, some 10 year, ten days after we got operational again. So we were one of the earliest companies who were allowed also to start, mainly because we one of our research topics was is and was antiviral compounds at that time. And uh, so if you look backwards, uh, for sure there was a shutdown, a prolongation, of uh, Chinese New Year of two weeks, maybe then an additional one week and three days. And then we were normally starting with all the measurements in place, what you have done at that time. And um, as as we uh, were uh, discussing already, uh, a lot uh, has to do with established communication channels and the possibility to reach out and to talk uh, and to to form a common agreement what is possible in in the next weeks and the next days yeah what can happen yeah and how should we prepare yeah and so for examples everybody has had uh, laptops notebooks whatever uh, we could get it out and work at home so yeah so that that was possible immediately so there were, were uh, in between 10 minutes, you could create a virtual company as you are starting in the first 10 days. Let me ask you one question about uh, work life and culture in China and to compare it with Europe. When I remember my first days in my career, it was mostly here in Europe going to the office, uh, ideally before nine o'clock 
and um, staying in the office as a motivated young professional, ideally uh, leaving not as the first person would say would say it that way. And uh, everything happened in the office. And then with the development of modern technology, the digital world, already before the pandemic, there was a huge transition from um, office-based work to more flexible models. And I think with the pandemic, it got a tremendous push towards flexibility where people, as you say, just uh, pick up the notebook, uh, sit somewhere on the beach, get the job done, then enjoy private life and do the next project and the next task a couple of hours later. Um, This is my European point of view. And what is your point of view on the European work culture? And what did you learn about the Chinese work culture, about the evolution and development in the last 20 years? Um, I've learned that we are humans. (laughs) That if you analyze new things, your brain normally analyzes a difference and not the similarities. And because you try to analyze the difference first and not the similarities, you think uh, the situation is totally different. So you don't start to say, hey, I'm in a new situation. Let's start to analyze what is not new. And then you start to going and do this kind of analysis. And then you would say, hmm, 95% is not really different. So the difference is only the 5%. But the 5% turns out for your perception on reality as very important. And describing so, for, for me, it, it, I'm not seeking first the difference. I'm seeking the similarities in what is really different. And uh, for, for me, it was very interesting to see uh, and it happens the same to me. Yeah? So don't, don't worry. I'm also there, a normal human. Um, if you were the first week in China at the time, and it's 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 probably, it's, pretty, it's it's pretty fine as long as I don't send me an invoice for psychoanalysis. <laughs> so <laughs> just go ahead. <laughs> and at that time, if visitors were coming, they have had an unsecureness on their face for one week. And whatever you do with them, they were totally unsecure, or let's call it unsecure, maybe not totally unsecure because you were around, so they were unsecure. So the the smell of the air was different. The noise was different. People maybe behaved different. And uh, at least that was an assumption. Uh, but uh, it, it went away after one week. So after one week, they feel well with the situation. They adapt to it. And at that point, I would describe uh, that uh, besides the surface, uh, people understand they are more similar than different. Um, okay, if you if you think about uh, the, the, the work culture and uh, European and uh, Chinese work culture, I, 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 would, I would describe it. I have had to work together with uh, young people at that time, including myself also uh, uh, assigned to be young. And for sure, you have then a different kind of thinking what you want to reach and how you want to reach it in what kind of time. Uh, I personally have had uh, 
not seen too many people who can be productive more than 10 hours a day and also not they cannot productive than seven days a week so there is a limitation if you if you would decide to work more than 10 hours a day you might can be present but you cannot work so that's some physical facts i somehow have experience on myself as well as on others so it's it's just difficult and then uh, if you assume work culture there and here, um, we try to be a culture of experts and get our added value to have a high degree of having an expertise. If you start in uh, China, this kind of expertise for each individual might be not general, very developed. So that means for sure, uh, you have to develop it together with the people. Uh, you have had excellent people in China, in Shanghai at that time who stand out uh, because at that time the um, system was very selective in who could uh, progress and who not. So I experienced the interaction uh, with uh, um, uh, a person uh, and he has had also a PhD and his PhD number in China was below 10,000 so for every PhD you make at that time you get a number and uh, the PhD number was below 10,000 which also tells you something about to whom you were posed um, and so everybody was involved, everybody was engaged, everybody was willing to learn. Um, maybe learning was even more important uh, than contributing at that time, but that was also okay because as I describe it, and as you also describe it, how fast China was developing at that time where our European culture might have spent 200 years and they might have spent 30 years in reaching this, reflects a little bit how developed our economy is to bring added value to people on one side and also to uh, if you if you invest in education and there was the setup of china was i would describe it very clever to invest in education and the portion portion of education and investing education from the personal household at that time for if you if you uh, put it on in the relationship, what you earn was forty to sixty percent. So forty to sixty percent of all your income was not going in food, travel, or whatever. It was education, and that gives you also a little bit a mindset of the people. If you say, "Oh, how, how was working at that time?" So they were really seeking education, understanding that the education brings them forward. And with such kind of attitude, for sure, you can develop a whole society as well as also individuals. I agree to that. Education is very highly regarded, I think, still in China. And what, what I saw in the last years before the pandemic was very impressive, um, how they presented uh, very boldly what they want to achieve in the coming five to ten years. And I remember the slogan that China wants to become the innovation leader. And many people understood the value of education. And um, 
learning more and more every day, but also on the investment side. And I um, think in the last years, it was a little bit, not in the last years, in the last year, I was a little bit surprised that the government is a little bit, in my opinion, hammering down on education and uh, investments. And um, I wonder how, how the next years will look like because the companies they created like Alibaba, like Tencent, but also on the on the pharmaceutical side, I mean, Fosun Pharma, for example, or Sinopharm, um, are tremendous successes and uh, doing very well. And uh, I'm surprised a little bit about the turn of the Chinese government. How do you see that? I yeah. Um, so the, the, there is for sure a challenge about how to develop a society and in which kind of direction you want to develop it. So think about Japan. And what is the demand of Japanese people to spend and stay involved in their professional life in comparison with uh, their family life? Uh, what uh, political leaders understood is uh, you have to create also jobs for all this kind of well-educated uh, persons. Uh, and on the other side, if you think about, there is uh, still uh, a lot of families with only childs. So there is a pressure on only childs where some of the only childs, as well as the families, might cannot stand it. And uh, then you have to give also a signal maybe towards your society. Hey, guys. Uh, it's okay if we are uh, uh, trying to uh, get as much um, knowledge into our brain as possible, but maybe we have to think about what does it make for, with us and how to set up uh, a culture which is also sustainable. Yeah, and we have also the same question uh, to answer in our middle European society. So our societies are also not sustainable. If you uh, would look like how much children we allow ourselves to get raised here in Germany, Austria, um, and how how to make this kind of work-life balance possible that at least I would describe it that our societies are sustainable. Uh, so we extract a lot of resources from what we should bring into education that uh, more the elderly people are profiting from it. So it's a little bit like the same like as a C CEO of a company. Uh, you can be tremendously successful in the first years if you cut R&D because then you don't spend any money. Uh, you will have a high profit margin there. But after three or four years not spending R&D, also your company will crash down. So... Uh, describing this kind of challenge that Chinese society as well as the European society has. And there, again, sorry then for my mindset, I, I try to identify similarities first before I go to differences. <laughs> that's, that's great. I come from the other side. So <laughs> we, we meet yeah. in the middle then. <laughs> and, and, and this somehow you see now. So for me, it mm -hmm. was also interesting to see 
but for sure, I also have opposed to children who went through all this kind of uh, educational accelerators, I would describe it. And for sure, you have them then as colleagues and need to deal with them. Again, uh, maybe I have also a sense for uh, only child. Uh, because I'm by myself and only uh, children. So <laughs> maybe that helps me in Shanghai. I don't know. Uh, but uh, again, uh, so I think they are thinking how, what is our picture in the future about society? How should we set it up? That maybe something like happiness is a key asset about how we run our society. I couldn't agree more. I was always impressed when I traveled there. One hand, the the speed of the development of uh, the cities, which were really visible from one year to the other, a uh, lot of new buildings, um, the cultural differences, where I said uh, similarities. Uh, at the, in the end, before the pandemic, I saw a lot of commonalities. It was so easy to get in touch, and even it, it was like not leaving the country. So of, of course, I mean, it, it, obviously, it was China. But talking to people, English, in my opinion, was well understood by many people. It was There was no communication problem anymore. Uh, also, the gadgets made it fairly easy to understand. So like the, the Apple iPhone, which uh, could translate uh, Chinese letters very easily, and just holding it and I could read what's there. So as I said, I mean, the similarities became bigger and uh, the differences uh became less and they hope uh, that one day the pandemic also ends and that we can continue on that path because I think it's really a great one. And the thing is with with uh, with China, I think there is a lot of talents there and uh, um, people are very proficient in moving things forward. And it's the biggest market pretty soon, I am for sure. So I think the Chinese success story will continue. And what it described with the quest for happiness, um, I think the government would just uh, do it as successfully as they did the, uh, the other developments in the last uh, 30 years since uh, the Berlin Wall fell. So China is an interesting market. Uh, connecting with the Chinese society is an interesting mission. And maybe one of the other listeners uh, thinks about setting up also operations somewhere in Beijing or in Shanghai or in Hong Kong. What advice would you give as a final question such entrepreneurs who are inspired by your uh, our conversation and by your explanation? What is a proper first step uh, into the Chinese market? You have to assume yourself about what are your success criteria. Uh, I have been opposed to a lot of people who somehow came to China and think it's different now. So I have to act different and then they fail. So you would not expect if you go to US for one week and find the partner of your lifetime if you do if you go to US. But too often I have seen that people are expecting that if they go to China for whatever reason. Um, so don't change. <laughs> I have to say, make yourself aware why you were successful and don't change your successful criteria. If you go to China, you, 
as I indicated previously, you have to have the feeling that you got wanted. Yeah, don't try to to fight an uphill battle. Yeah, if you don't have the feeling you you are wanted. Yeah, not your money is wanted. Uh, something else is wanted. If you got you have the feeling you got wanted, then it's a place uh, where you should decide it uh, uh, to go. Uh, China by itself is so different. It's like Europe. So you might find it, and that is what you need to figure out. You might find an ecosystem, an environment, which fits to you, and you might find it in Beijing. Or you might find it in Peking, uh, uh, Shanghai, or Hong Kong. But they are different. It's the same difference if you think about you can come along very well and you enjoy it to have a conversation with Italian people and others like more Swedish people to interact. And some like East East, uh, European uh, culture more uh, than Portuguese culture. And these highly diverse cultural differences, you, you have to be aware that you have it also in China. China is not this kind of one monolith country like people assume to, uh, and that you need to find out, and then you need to have time. And this kind of investment of time is underestimated. So you, you cannot say, hey, I start something and then I run away. So... I described already that in the first 10 years, every six to eight weeks, uh, we have had a physical presence there. So that means I have been there uh, four to, to six times a year for a period of two weeks to six weeks. And if you are not willing to invest such kind of time in it, action that 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 might be then also not appropriated yeah or you have to ask others to execute it yeah uh, but don't think you can be successfully executing something where you don't invest time and for sure people as i describe it you need to get the feeling if you got wanted or not and for sure people also enjoy personal interaction like you enjoy personal interaction also with your format there yeah with different kind of people, uh, this kind of enjoyment you have to also create there. That was a great explanation. I think you will remember a lot of great things from our conversation, like um, thinking more about similarities than differences in the world and uh, trying to find first what we sh- what we have in common and then talk about uh, where we are different. It's, I think, very inspiring and it's... Uh, um, great approach to life and probably will help making life better. Kai, thank you very much for giving your valuable insights in at my podcast and I'm looking forward to catch up uh, probably next year. Please, yes. Christian, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.